Hello, everyone. This is Xander Broffel, Director of Marketing Operations at CS2, with the Revenue Growth Architects podcast. Joining me today is Nina Velcheva, Director of Solutions Architecture at CS2. Thanks so much for joining us again, Nina. How are you doing today? Hey, Xander. Yeah, I'm super excited to be on again on my favorite podcast. That you know, as as you know, I'm an avid listener. I've listened to every single episode, so I'm excited to be a guest again. Well, we appreciate that you still listen, even yeah. though this is like very, very. Uh, uh, it's it's content that you've clearly heard before, but you always kind of learn something new, and that's what I love about this podcast yeah. so much. Um, especially as, as the host, like there's things that people start talking about that I'm like, Oh, I never thought of that. I should, I should definitely, uh, definitely incorporate that into my practice as well. So that is fantastic. Well, Nina, we had you on previously to talk about enrichment and the audience loved it. So we were super excited to have you back on, uh, what are we talking about today? Yeah, today we're talking about Salesforce campaigns and how to structure them with, the. Uh... The kind of the where and what challenge, like campaigns versus channel tracking. Um, so it's uh, I know you and I have worked on quite a few of these projects together again, similar to Lifecycle. So it's exciting to be talking to you about it today. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's it's something that should be so easy to solve for. But, you know, like the sign behind me says, it depends. There's a lot of ways that you can go about doing it. I've seen it done a lot of ways. Uh, but I will say that the way that we do it at CS2 has probably been the most efficient methodology for it um, and has given, given my clients, I know, so much more visibility into what is working as well as what are the channels that are working without a ton of like ongoing maintenance and setup. So really excited to dig into this. Um, so first of all, let's, let's break down, like what is the where and what challenge? Yeah, so essentially it, it all comes down to marketers one, one, wanting to know where did this person come from and what did they convert on so they can ultimately see like how the engagement generated an influence pipeline. And as you said, it's not easy to measure this unless you have a well-defined process to track both the where and the what. Um, yes. And a lot of times, some of the complexity comes from like there's like for each what there are many where's. So, for example, the what we can have a white paper and you're promoting it on all these different channels like like via LinkedIn, paid search with AdWords, emails, and even direct on your website. So. Uh, if you want to report on both the where and the what, there's just so many different ways to track this, but there's some that are more efficient than others, and some can really get out of hand. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, oh, you, I've, I've seen it done so many different ways, right? Um, I've seen, I mean, I think that you even worked on this, uh, where we had somebody who was utilizing Pardot, and they had an engagement studio for like all of their major content, because they had to really like, direct that lead into the appropriate campaign, because they had channel and offer oh, yeah. information in the same campaign, right? And just like, looking at those so flows painful. was like, what is going on here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 and and you know, I empathized for the for the marketing team and mm -hmm. especially for the operations team because they're like, how do I manage this? How do I maintain this? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean that that's definitely one of the major examples that I can think of. But what are some other examples that you've seen where this this process can become very unwieldy? 
Yeah, I mean, one way that, I mean, I've even done this in the past too at a startup where we didn't have too much content, but you could, if you wanted to create, if you don't have too much content, create a Salesforce campaign for the offer and then another Salesforce campaign for the channel. So like when someone downloads a white paper, for example, via LinkedIn paid social, they would be added to two campaigns. So one for the white paper and one for paid social LinkedIn. But their challenge was that it, there's no connection between the offer and the channel campaign. Like they're being added to two campaigns. It could potentially, uh, like if depending on how you're setting it up, setting up the campaigns, if their responses are not, they could be double counting responses. So it's just difficult to report on all leads that downloaded a specific asset from a specific channel. Absolutely. And since somebody can really only be tied into that campaign once, you also lose like, what if they what if they converted on multiple things on LinkedIn? You don't necessarily right. have the opportunity to easily show this was time one versus time two. Um, yeah. What have you. Yeah. Similarly, like another maybe step further, you could create a Salesforce campaign for each channel and offer combination. So awesome white paper dash LinkedIn, awesome white paper dash email dash AdWords. So this is initially easy to set up if you don't have too many offers, but it gets really hard to scale and maintain. Absolutely. And then just like imagining wanting to change the name of that offer or yeah. wanting to add partners into that mix. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden you have it multiplied by three. Uh, wow, that could be that could definitely be painful. Um, what about like, there's a lot of tools that can solve it, right? Right. Yeah. So that is if you have the budget getting a tool like visible or full circle campaign attribution definitely would get you the reporting that you need. Um, but it's not cheap and requires quite a bit of work to implement and maintain. I mean, that's obviously a great solution. But if you're just starting out wanting something simple, there are other ways to do it, which we can spend the majority of the time talking about today. For sure, for sure. And I don't want to like deter people from custom solutions. Um, I think that it definitely has a place. I personally love Visible. Um, mm -hmm. I, I've utilized it. I love a lot of different tools that, that help with attribution because it is a very difficult problem to solve at scale. Yeah. Um, but like you say, if you are just trying to, you're doing nothing today and you want to get to something, uh, maybe investing in a very, um, maybe something that's more costly than you want to pay for is not going to be uh, ideal. So we will continue to talk through some other options. What's another option that somebody could do? Yeah. So the option we like to recommend um, is just stamping fields on the campaign member. Um, so typically this, this is what we recommend for people that don't might not have the budget for a tool like Visible, but it still gets you tracking on both the channel and the offer um, and everything's tracked on the campaign member. So with this method, the Salesforce campaign will be for the offer, which is the what, and then you'll update fields on the campaign member based on the where the lead came from, which is the data that will be pulled from UTM fields. So um, we'll get into more detail on this, but essentially you set up automation. Um, typically you do it through Salesforce flow on the campaign member, where anytime a campaign member is created, you copy the UTM values from the lead or contact and stamp them onto the campaign member and then clear them out on the leader contact so they're available for the next time they engage. So oh. yeah, so there's benefits to this, like because now 
you can see for each offer campaign, what are all the channels that brought people to engage with that offer. And that, so, so you're using those UTM fields on the campaign member since they're all on one object, so you can uh, easily use them for reporting. So you'll be able to see where people came from and what they converted on. Yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, I love the the ability to slice and dice that data. Mm -hmm. um, very interesting. And and I know that this was a concept that was a little bit foreign for me because I was definitely used to creating campaigns that had offer and channel before I was over at CS2. Yeah, same here, um, actually. <laughs> you too? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, it, it's it's such a useful way of thinking about it but it requires some automation and some thinking so i i definitely know like you are planning on sharing with the audience today kind mm -hmm. of how to go about building this if this is something that they are interested in um but i love the fact that you know if you wanted to know what is all of paid media doing you can build a report off of one object and you can get that answer and then you can slice it by what is the offer that corresponds with that channel or yeah. vice versa, like you had mentioned. Exactly. So it's just very flexible. Um, and you can really get a lot of detail that you didn't have before. And because it's tied to both the campaign member, which is the campaign and the lead and the contact, you can now start to pull in a lot of rich data. Um, as I had mentioned, like if you wanted to identify something that had partners, you don't need a 42 character long campaign name to do that if you can just have a custom field on the campaign to indicate that it's a partner, you know, related campaign or anything right. like that. Yes. Very, very cool. Um, so you you spoke a little bit about like the high level setup. So let's let's go into that detail. Like how would you and and there's some other ways that we can set it up and maybe we can talk through that um if, if you're utilizing Marketo, but yeah. I think that I think that the Salesforce automation is probably the most flexible because not all of our listeners are are utilizing a specific marketing automation platform, but I'm assuming that most people are probably utilizing Salesforce. So mm -hmm. how would you go about building it in Salesforce? Yeah, so we're really going to get a bit into the weeds here, but um uh, so what we typically do is first you got to make sure you have your Salesforce campaign types um, aligned so to, they need to correspond with offers and not channels since the channels will be tracked on the campaign member object for each campaign via those UTM fields. So your your types for your campaign should be things like event, trade show, webinar, web content, web request like for your demo, contact us requests. So that would be the what. And typically, I would say you should only have around 10 or so campaign types. Um, okay. And then if you do want to get more granular into web content, you know, instead of creating a type for white paper, case study, analyst report, you can go a, a step further and create like a campaign type detail dependent pick list field. So that would have the types of, of web content. So when your team is creating a Salesforce campaign and they select web content as the type, they'll be required to select a campaign type detail. So that's just something small, but it's useful if you want to get more granular without needing to have a separate campaign type for each type of content, which can get a little hairy. Um, and you could use this for other types too, like events. You can just have one event type with a campaign type detail for things like field event versus partner event, um, things like that. Yeah, yeah, that's super helpful. Um, and because you're focused on the offer, 
you have you have some more flexibility in reporting. Um, you mentioned webinar, and I feel like webinar is like one of those pain points that a lot of people face, where they're mm-hmm. like, "Well, I want my lead source to be webinar. I want my source data to be webinar, right?" In in our yeah. conversation today, and then you're like, "Yeah, but webinar is really the offer, and how right. you got to the webinar is the channel." Um, I also think about that from like a live chat perspective. Would you put yeah. live chat as a like source or would it be an offer type? What, well, I would say it depends <laughs> uh, <laughs> because some some chat providers are able to capture UTMs. So if, if they do, then you definitely use that as a channel instead of web chat. But if you don't have UTMs like and you just like somebody's created directly from web chat, um, then you can use web chat as well which i've done as well or you can just default it to web direct because we have web chat is on your website so different ways to do it but i know some some vendors like drift you can actually pull in utms which is great very great yes okay thank you um sorry to interrupt you so we were talking about offer and then uh so type and subtype what's some of the next setup that you would want to do yeah the next i mean this isn't required for the whole channel um setup but i also do want to recommend like having custom campaign member statuses for each type to just define those um because the default when you create a salesforce campaign it just defaults to sent and responded um but you potentially would want to know what, what exactly what the person did so for webinar you can use things like registered no show attended and attended on demand um so just list out your types and then what campaign member statuses should go along for each of that type and then which ones, which statuses should be considered responses since that's very, very critical for reporting uh, that you're syncing to the Salesforce campaign and the ones that are actual responses should be marked with the responded status. For sure. I know something that hangs hangs people up sometimes is like, well, what should be a response? Mm-hmm. And I always answer it with, it depends, Uh, you know, this is a a business decision that you want to make. Some people, for example, with registrations, they they don't want to consider a registration, a response. They want to make sure that it's only getting responded to after the, the webinar or the event has taken place. Whereas some other people may say, well, I want folks to follow up with whoever's registered and I want them to potentially be able to be scored or have a life cycle tied to them after they've registered. Um, And in those cases, maybe the client would actually set it as a response in that case. Right. Um, Do you have any other kind of like recommendations that you've, that you've worked through? No, I think it's exactly, as you mentioned, it depends on the business um, where they're, if, if they track registrations as responses or not, but it just, just want like whatever you're doing, just make sure if they did respond, they are tracked as responses. We, I know we've seen a lot of times where, um, they they get synced to the to the webinar, but then if respond if registered isn't counted as a response, um, maybe they they just stay in that status and they never get updated to attended or no show, uh, and then they're never counted as responses. So yeah, just want to yeah, make that's sure no you good do either. After the <laughs> after the webinar takes place, make sure to update them. Fantastic, and it's such a pain setting setting those up and and having consistency so do you, have you solved for that in any way like making it easier to set up your campaign types and your responses based upon that yeah i mean there's several ways you can enforce uh when a new campaign gets created to make sure they're using the right member statuses i know with marketo you can actually 
like if you in Marketo you have um, the like the channel set up to correspond to your campaign types and member statuses, you can just create a Marketo program, sync it, and it'll create the Salesforce campaign with those statuses. That's one way to do it. Um, and then what what we typically recommend um, and build for clients is implementing custom metadata in a Salesforce flow to manage all this. Um, so basically setting up a flow that lists uh, listens for metadata, which has uh, for each type, what are the campaign member statuses, which are counted as responses, what's the default status. So anytime a campaign gets created with that type, it automatically gets created with the right values. And that is so useful. Um, I love that it's set up as metadata because then it's like if if Mops needs to add a status because we know that that happens, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. This very specific event, I need to have like attended this specific speaking session and I want to be able to do reporting on it. Like right. one of the ways yeah. that you might want to go about doing that is setting up a type. Um, and as long as you have a process that you can follow, metadata types are very easy to configure compared to, okay, let's go into the flow and like completely rebuild it or re-architect it as a result. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it does require some Salesforce admin work. So hopefully you, you ha you're able to do it. Or if you have a Salesforce admin that you're friendly with, have them do it, but it's not easy to set up. Um, and it's pretty easy to maintain as well. Um, yeah. But even if you don't do this part, I still want to stress the when, when you sync over leads and contacts to campaign, do make sure you're using a status that indicates a response if they did respond to something, because yeah. it's crucial for reporting to make sure you're, you're counting actual responses. And, you know, if you don't have automation in place, it's okay. Like I've set up campaigns with, with related statuses as a, as a template, yeah. and you just go in and clone with related and, and that can work too. Um, so there's, oh, yes. there's your crawl, walk, run, many different op options to go about solving this as long as you're being consistent. Yeah, I forgot about that one, but that is something actually we have, have done too, where you use templates. The hard part with that is sometimes making sure people actually use those templates. So yeah. one for that, like do, remove the new button so that people can just create a new campaign. They have to clone it from a template. So quick tip Good there. Idea. <laughs> like that. Awesome. Um, so this is pretty dependent on UTMs, right? Yes. Any yes. recommendations on how to approach UTMs then? That's, I think, the biggest challenge with this. Um, and yeah, just make sure you define your UTM values. You can definitely use a UTM builder. I know CS2's version is awesome, and you can download it from the resources page on the website. Um, but at the minimum, you should have UTM medium and UTM source. And you should define a standard list of values that we can selected um, for each of those, so that you just don't. You, we want to avoid having random variations that would be hard to report on. For like, if you have organic dash social or just social or uh, like email or Marketo, like just make sure you have like a like a, a set list of values that you use um, because it'll get really hard to report on if you have like random variations of UTMs that come in. Definitely. Um, Google actually has a really good page of like standard channel pairings that mm. Google Analytics is looking for. So mm -hmm. anytime that I'm starting UTMs, like I start with those values because at yes. least I know that they're going to pretty universally be captured um, and then customize as you need to. Yes. Yes. Um. So yeah, definitely starting off with at least UTM medium and source. So UTM medium uh, would track like the type of channel driving the traffic. So organic social, paid social, 
email, um, web direct, things like that. And then UTM source indicates the actual, like what was, was it a social network, so search engine, email tool. So that'll be LinkedIn, Twitter, Google, Bing. So like UTM medium, let's say is paid social, and UTM source is LinkedIn. And there's, there's other UTM fields, which we typically also recommend that are not as crucial, but like UTM campaign, UTM term, and UTM content. There are other parameters that can be useful to add as well, but the main two that you need to track the channel are UTM medium and UTM source. Great. I, one thing that I like to call out here, because I've had conversations with multiple people and, and sometimes UTMs are a little confusing. Like mm -hmm. I've seen people want to set UTMs based upon the landing page that they're sending somebody to. Mm. Um, but I generally am recommending like this is this is how did the person get to the website from right. a digital UTM perspective. So it's not so much the landing page because they could come to your website and leave the landing page and then convert on a different landing page. So if you, yeah. if you have like a requested demo, maybe it is UTM content because in the email, the offer was requested demo, but don't think of it as, Oh, this is the landing page that they converted on because it's truly what was the thing that converted them to get to your digital asset to your website. Yeah. Now, if I have UTMs and I know that I'm going to have automation on the Salesforce side to set those UTMs over onto campaign members, how do I get it through that process? How do I get it from, let's, let's call it an email, uh, all the way into Salesforce so I can camp, uh, stamp it onto a campaign member? Yeah, that is the hardest part that people always struggle with is making sure when you sync over leads and contacts to campaigns as campaign members they should always come in with UTMs, like whether it's through online channels, offline channels. If you're doing this stamping on the on the campaign member method, you should always make sure they're coming in with UTM values. So for online, that means working with your web team to make sure they're using a script that always populates UTMs on all your form fields. And I know for this specific um, challenge, Xander, you, you can probably share some insights of working with with the web developers and how to actually make uh, there's there's usually I know a lot of back and forth to get the script working to pass these. there is <laughs> yeah I mean you know especially being in mops typically mops are working within systems that are not on the web and and there's some teams that are like very closely aligned with web teams um, I find that what you're what we're what we really want to be able to do is get UTM parameters stored in cookies because then if they exit the landing page, they can navigate the website, but you're still capturing the UTMs within those cookies and then populating those when somebody fills out a form. So that's an ideal state. But to be able to do that um, can be tricky because if, if you're not a web developer, you can provide the requirements, but now you're a stakeholder. So I would always say that if you are trying to get to this level of reporting, which is ideal because you want to be able to tell the story of how is my paid spend working? If you can't tie that to an opportunity, you are leaving money on the table. So it's definitely a worthwhile project to invest in. Um, but you want to make sure that you have close 
working relationship with whoever is doing the development that you have clear requirements to find. Um, we have kind of built in to our requirements, like how do you account for referral traffic that's coming from Google search or Bing search or Yahoo search? Um, how are you accounting for organic social traffic that's coming from Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook? So you want to make sure that you are that you're thinking through all of those flows. Um, and usually what I do is I start with if I have UTM parameters in the in the URL, capture those, mm-hmm. period. Then take a look at the referral traffic. If there's no referral traffic, it's going to default to web direct. Otherwise, you're going to start to do some assessment based upon that referral. So if the refer is coming from Google, Bing, Yahoo, we can assume that that's coming from an organic search. If refer is coming from LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and all their variations, sometimes it's like f.com or l.com, t.com, um, you want to take a look in your testing to see that you're capturing everything, but then you can kind of default to organic social. Um, and then it really comes down to getting those data values populated into forms. Mm-hmm. Um, Marketo makes it really nice and easy because Marketo can actually just be configured to pull data values from cookies. Um, so ideal if you're there. Um, but if you don't have that functionality, that's where, you know, there's going to be another script that needs to be created by that web team uh, to get the data values populated. Um, and then some people will just default to what is getting pulled in. Like if I'm on HubSpot or I think Pardot does this as well, like there's just some out of the box capturing of channel traffic. Sometimes you utilize that um, or maybe you'll just kind of default to what's sitting in the URL. Um, but no matter what, you want to make sure that you are taking as much um, time as you can invest in with the expertise that you have to capture mm-hmm. as much data as possible. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's great. Yeah, I think that's always a, just a lot a big challenge in making sure everything is coming in the perform fills with UTMs, um, but also defaulting too. So like if there's nothing in the referral and UTMs are not present, setting defaults like for UTM medium, set something like direct and UTM source can be the name of your website. Yes, yes, 100%. So We've got UTMs. They're being stamped on the lead and the contact. Uh, what about like offline activity? Yes, that's the other thing because a lot of people just focus on online and the UTMs are there. But uh, in order for the UTMs to be stamped, you actually need to capture them on basically any way somebody enters your database and engages with something. So um, ensure everybody that you're syncing to Salesforce campaigns do come over with UTM values going forward since you'll be using that data in your reporting. So it should be on all campaign members. Um, so just think of all the ways that leads are created in your marketing automation platform. Um, and it's best to actually make sure that they're created, they're first created with those UTM values in place, just so you don't run into things like order of operations if you're trying to like stamp them through a smart campaign, but maybe they sync over to a Salesforce campaign before that, and they actually would be missed. So things to do, like, for example, like if you do list list uploads, like any kind of list upload, whether it's through an event, um, what have you, just have a column for UTM medium and UTM source. Great. If you have an integrations like content syndication or event registrations through an API, also map over UTM medium and UTM source at a minimum as well. So they'll pass over the values when they sync over leads. 
Um, again, having default values, um, which is uh, not ideal because again, with running into the order of operations issue, but you can set up smart campaigns or uh, you know, HubSpot set up workflows when somebody enrolls before syncing to a Salesforce campaign to set default values if they don't have anything in those UTM fields. Right. Yeah, I know that this is a this is a sticking point for a lot of folks is you're not used to thinking about UTMs for offline activities. But mm -hmm. like the value that you get of just having a consistent process, regardless of if it's online or offline, is really helpful. Um, and then you also have the ability to set like lead source values based upon those UTMs. So you don't have to yeah. have um, a bunch of if then logic treating it differently if it's offline versus online. You can have it in a single process and you're just utilizing your UTM parameters. Correct. Yep. And again, just stressing the importance of order of operations and thinking through that. So ensure that UTMs on the leader and contact are always updated before the campaign member is created um, so that the UTMs can be stamped on the campaign member. Um, this, this is often the biggest issue we see where the lead is synced to the Salesforce campaign without UTMs or before the UTMs can be set. So then they're just never stamped on a campaign member. So you don't actually get the channel information of where that lead came from. Yeah, definitely. Um, anything else that we are missing from like how to actually go about capturing the data before we move into how do we report on the data? Um, well, before we move on to the reporting, I think we captured like making sure you get the UTM data, but the last piece is actually setting up that automation that will be stamping the UTM values um, onto the campaign member. So the way you do this, it's a little bit in the weeds, but make sure you have the same UTM fields um, for that are on your lead and contact. Just create those same camp the same fields on the campaign member object. Um, so then typically you would do this through a Salesforce flow. I think Marketo too now, I think maybe Xander Ewer um, exploring this is like having campaign members sync directly from Marketo. Program. Yeah, yeah, just like Fun. really quick, we, we don't have to go into the weeds on it, but Marketo did release um, that you can have custom program member fields sync with oh, yes, custom yes. Uh, campaign member fields. So it's the it's going to hmm. be the same exact thought process. You still stamp them onto the person record, and then there would be smart list, uh, uh, sorry, flows that would set the values from the person onto the program member. And then when it syncs over, you would go program member to campaign member. Um, so very unique, very nice to have that functionality, um, but it's very specific to Marketo. So I like I like having yeah. the the option to do it in both systems. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the way we typically do it is uh, actually through a Salesforce flow. Um, so create an after save record triggered Salesforce flow that gets triggered anytime a campaign member gets created. So it'll be a very simple flow where all it's doing is. Um, checking to see if the leader contact has UTM values. And if so, just copy them onto the corresponding fields on the campaign member. And then it should also clear them out, clear out the UTM fields on leads and contacts so that the next time they respond to something, um, they get synced to another campaign, it will have the, the set of UTM fields for that next engagement. So it'll avoid discrepancies, like if only some of the UTM fields are populated in first engagement but then they come over and some still have the values from the next engagement it could create a big mess so make sure you're always clearing out the UTMs 
on the lead and contact as soon as you stamp them onto the campaign member. That's fantastic. Um, um, yeah. And typically I would, sorry, just go for it. another thing is just, just to, just to be extra, extra safe. I also like to set up a nightly batch campaign, which you can do in your marketing automation platform, just in case there are still UTMs that need to be cleared on the lead and contact for any reason. Just clear them out on a nightly batch too, so they get reset every night. Yeah, yeah. I uh, sorry to interrupt you. I I wanted to uh, make one call out that if you're utilizing Pardot, um, oh yes, maybe clearing is not the right idea. Nina, do you know where I'm going with that one? Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> so what do I do if I'm if I'm on Pardot um, instead of clearing values? What do you recommend? Yeah. So with Pardot, it's interesting because. Um, it's a, it's it's a little tr different because it can actually recognize if you null out a value from Salesforce, it actually won't recognize that update. So it'll try to sync over that the same values if the field is populated. So with Pardot, actually, what uh, we recommend doing is in your Salesforce flow, um, have a like a five minute wait step before you clear them out, and then instead of clearing them out, just set them to something like null or not provided, just so that there is some value that Pardot can then recognize. Yeah, so if you're doing null, like literally type N-U-L-L, not null value, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, good call out there. We, we kind of learned this the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> Many weeks of troubleshooting with support only to yes. go, oh, not provided, I guess is that gonna be our option. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so that is a lot of information. Um, mm -hmm. Let's start at the beginning and just do a quick summary. I'm going to repeat this back. Keep me honest here, Nina. So you want to start okay. by defining your UTM strategy and having a clear, consistent UTM builder. That's kind of our, our, our bare minimum. Let's get some consistency going with our reporting. We're going to work with our web team and we are going to have automation that is setting data values that are coming from those UTM links storing those into cookies in an ideal state and passed forward into hidden hidden form fields into your marketing automation platform. You're going to save that data in UTM fields on the person, leader contact. That will then sync into Salesforce, where you have a flow that is set up that will copy the UTM values from the leader, the contact, add them into the campaign member and then clear those data values or put not provided if you're in, in a situation where you need to do that. So that way you're ready for the very next um, automation that's going to go through. And then if you're utilizing this from an offline perspective, making sure that your list upload um, templates that you have or any of your integrations are passing along those UTMs on create to get you through that process yeah. as well. Did I miss anything? Yes. Um, I think the only thing is making sure your Salesforce campaign types are just for the offers Yes. and don't create things like organic social things, like things that will now going forward be captured on the UTMs for the channel data. So just make sure you're only using the Salesforce campaign type for the actual offer. Fantastic. Uh, Nina, do you have any recommendations around content syndication? Like, should I, should I, as content syndication, utilize that as a UTM value or should it be a campaign offer? Should it be both? What have you seen that works pretty well? Yeah, I think that's a channel in my opinion. I know some, some clients might choose to track it as the offer, but I think that's just another channel that people are consuming your content. So um, I would set it up where the UTMs, like UTM Medium would be content syndication, UTM source would be the vendor name. 
and then that gets stamped on your white paper, let's say if they download the white paper, stamp that on your white paper campaign. So when you report on how did everybody get to this white paper, you'll see how many came through syndication. Fantastic. I feel like that is something that we're not often thinking about, kind of in the same vein of like live chat or webinars. So I definitely wanted to call mm -hmm. that out. Um, I'm with you. I would much prefer to be able to track that from a channel perspective um, because you just get more dynamic reporting um, and more ways to slice and dice that data that would include content mm -hmm. syndication. So, Yeah. All right. So we have it set up. We have it operationalized. Now, how do we go about like utilizing this data for reporting? Yeah. Um, well, the first report you should you should set up should actually be before this is even live, uh, before you launch the automation. Just make sure that you everything is coming in with ETMs on the campaign members. Yeah. So the very first report you should create is a campaign with campaign members report, where you pull in all the UTM fields. And then see if any are empty that shouldn't be. Uh, like make sure everything does have UTM medium and UTM source. And then if they don't, then troubleshoot to see why. Like maybe when you're updating all your forms with the UTM fields, maybe there was a form that was missed where the UTMs were not added. Maybe the web team script isn't working as expected and the UTMs were never passed. Um, usually we have found there's a lot of back and forth with the web team to make sure the script is working the way we want it to um, and making sure the UTMs are always coming through. So before you even launch the automation to stamp onto the campaign member, make sure everything is created with UTMs. Awesome. Yep. And then after you launch and start seeing some data, um, you can create if some, like if your marketer, if let's say you have a field marketer, they want to know um, how did everybody register? How did everybody come in for this event? Uh, you can create one-off reports for specific campaigns to see what are all the channels that drove people to engage with that offer. Um, so you can do this for an entire campaign type too. So you can say a campaign type web content and then for each web content campaign, what are all the channels the responses are coming from? Um, another, another thing you could do um, next level is building your campaign performance dash reports and dashboards that look at what channels are driving the most campaign responses, MQLs. Um, so use that UTM data, which you're now stamping onto the campaign member. Um, you can group your reports by campaign name and then UTM medium and then UTM source, or you can even like do formulas where you combine that data. Um, so you can see exactly like where they like, for UTM medium, UTM source, what are, or what, which combinations they came from. Um, I do want to call out too, if you are using out-of-the-box campaign, Salesforce campaign influence, the offer program will still be the campaign that's getting the attribution and campaign influence report. So the type would be the offer type, but you can pull in the UTM fields to see the referring channels. Wonderful. So that is another reason why it's helpful to have um, your offline activities, right? So you just have, mm -hmm. you have UTMs, that is what you're typically like grouping by and you don't have to have online reporting versus offline reporting. You kind of have it all consolidated. Yeah. So it's just creating campaign with campaign member reports and that's where all the data lives. That's great. And you can stamp a lot of other things on the campaign member too. Um, we can like have a whole separate other podcast topic on it. Like you can track your whole life cycle on the campaign member, yes. um, which is better than lead and contact since it consolidates 
that data all into one object. So campaign members are a great object to do a lot of reporting. Yeah, on. yeah. I mean, it solving the lead and contact problem is is like, well, you have campaign mm -hmm. members. Now, campaign members, you have to have a campaign response in order to, or a, yeah. a campaign engagement to, uh, to, to be related to, but it's definitely useful. Um, love this. This is fantastic information, Nina. Um, do you have any, like, any gotchas or things that you've learned along the way that, that you want to share with the audience? Um, yeah. So again, making sure you monitor, don't just set this and forget it. Um, make sure you monitor, like troubleshoot if their campaign members getting created without UTMs. Like if you have like a new source of leads coming in, make sure you account for that so that UTMs will be stamped correctly. So just always, always be monitoring. Um, May always keep in mind the order of operations. So make sure, again, that leads and contacts have UTMs before you sync them to Salesforce sure. campaign. And make sure UTMs are coming in consistently from all sources. That's great. And and yeah. so so yeah. this is something that can be built. You don't necessarily need any additional technology, but you know, just to kind of wrap things up, if if I needed something yeah. that was more complex or you know more dynamic. What recommendations might you have there? Yeah, again, this is just kind of a good way if you don't uh, have a lot of budget to get things started. But if you do, um, if if you do have budget, or if you want to get even more sophisticated with campaign attribution, definitely getting a tool like Visible or Full Circle um, will be great and can get you even even more data and with the touch points. Um, but yeah, there's just a lot, there's so many ways to, to track campaign attribution. So this was just kind of like a, like an easy ish way to get started. If you don't have the budget. Yeah, for it, so Fantastic. Like Nina, thank you so much for joining today. This is uh, I hope that our audience got a lot out of this. Um, definitely a topic that we may want to revisit. Um, but at the end of the day, I know that all of the clients that I have that are utilizing this data have so much more at their fingertips and they can truly answer that question of what is working and how are they getting to the things that are working. Um, and that's allowing them to build out more efficient processes to take a look in, and, and evaluate budgets, right? If we are investing a bunch of money into this, but it's not converting mm -hmm. into opportunities and we can't show any of that influence, we're making changes. Um, or vice versa, if we can identify what's helping us uh, accelerate deals faster, maybe we start to uh, target those things later in the funnel. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of great right. business decisions that you can make off of this data, but in order to get there, you have to have the foundation in place. Yeah. Yeah, at the end of the day, that's what this is for, is just making sure you can report and know what's working and that what's not working. awesome. Nina, thank you so much for joining. You've been listening to the Revenue Growth Architects podcast presented by CS2. If you enjoyed today's episode, please give us a review. Five stars helps us get in front of a larger audience who are, who are trying to solve problems similar to the one that we discussed today. Thank you very much and have a great day. Thank you.